Like everything in the military, a funeral has a very specific set of procedures. These procedures are in place to ensure that the deceased are appropriately honored for their service and sacrifice. Every country's military funeral is a little different and unique to their culture and history. In the United States, to render full honors, an honor guard carries the coffin to the burial site. Seven riflemen fire three volleys into the air. And then, before the American flag draped over the coffin is folded and presented to the family, a lone bugler stands apart from everyone and performs the only piece of music mandated by the United States federal government to be played at every military funeral. That piece of music is a 24-note bugle call known as TAPS. Most people associate TAPS with military funeral ceremonies, but amazingly, when it was composed during the American Civil War, it was never intended to be performed at funerals. Hi, I'm Matthew Billy, and this is Between the Liner Notes, a podcast about music, why it is the way it is, and how it got to be that way. The American Civil War was a very musical war. If you were in the military, music was much more to you than simply background noise. Most regiments had their own official bands that would perform while the troops were marching to relieve boredom, or even while in battle to boost morale. Many troops who were not in the official bands found extra space in their backpacks to carry small instruments with them. When they had some downtime, troops would pull out these instruments and just jam out. If they had no instruments, they would use their voices and sing. Regiments often had their own glee clubs that had regular practice schedules and performances. Music was one of the only forms of entertainment a soldier had. It's not like they could just play Xbox back then. But with all this music floating around the ranks during the American Civil War, there were only two musicians that were required by both the Union and Confederate governments to be present in every single regiment and served a central role in a soldier's day-to-day life. The first is a drummer, and the second is a bugler. The bugle is a brass instrument that is played like a trumpet. Tones are made by the performer vibrating their lips into a mouthpiece. The tone is then amplified through the metal tubing. Although there are bugles made with keys that can play the full range of notes, in most military settings a natural bugle is used, which has no keys and therefore can only sound a very limited number of notes. Those notes are restricted to the harmonic series, octave, fifth, octave, third, and fifth, like this. The bugle is similar to a trumpet, but with one difference. Despite popular belief, that difference is not the presence of keys or valves because both can be made without them. The main difference is actually their shape. The major difference happens within the way the bell is shaped. That's Yari Villanueva, former bugler for the United States Air Force Band and the author of the book, 24 Notes That Tap Deep Emotions, the story of America's most famous bugle call. A bugle has a more of a conical shape to it, like a French horn. It flares out more. A trumpet has more of a cylindrical shape to it. It stays in a tubular form most of the way until the very end, then it flares out. So each instrument creates a different type of sound. A bugle has more of a mellower sound, and a trumpet has more of a bright, brasher sound to it. 
Today, with our cell phones, radios, and internet, it's hard to understand how difficult it was to communicate a message to large groups of people. In the absence of modern technology, many militaries use the bugle to communicate because it's loud, easy to hear, and easy to carry. This was especially true during the American Civil War. There are two major roles that they've always performed. The first one is to act as the uh, the clock in camp, in garrison, to announce when things are happening. For example, the call to wake up, the call to fall in, the call to honor the flag, and then at night, the call to go to sleep. In the Civil Wars is the time when the bugle becomes more and more prominent, and we're looking at like 50 different bugle calls that are used in the infantry alone because everything is regulated by the sound of the bugle because no one has a watch. Other than being the clock of the military, the bugle also played an important tactical role. The other duty is actually on the field of battle where the the bugle was used as the mouthpiece for commanding officers. Um, You can only imagine trying to have a commander scream out commands under fire with all the loud sounds of cannons going off and and rifles and and stuff. A bugle could be heard much more clearer. So bugles were used to regulate movements of troops. Each bugle call has a specific melody. Each melody conveyed a message to the soldiers telling them what to do or what time of day it was. Every soldier had to memorize these melodies, but that wasn't really all that difficult. Like any melody, if you hear it enough times, it just kind of stays in your head. We don't move to the sound of the bugle like we did, you know, 150 years ago. 150 years ago, during the Civil War, that's all they heard. And drilling every single day, they learned these bugle calls. In fact, not only did they learn the calls, but they were able to even identify the people who played the calls because each bugler has a little bit of a different sound and, and maybe has their own way of playing it. So soldiers became very familiar with the sound of their own bugler. Soldiers drilled endlessly with bugle calls because on the battlefield, knowing the calls could be the difference between life and death. But for all their importance, by the Civil War, the United States military had never taken the time to compose their own melodies. They actually borrowed them from someone else. The United States really never had its own system of bugle signals. If you go back to the um, American Revolution, we were basically using the same calls the British were using. Okay, We used them for our own purposes, and we were using them up through the War of 1812. The War of 1812, which was an offshoot of the Napoleonic Wars taking place in Europe, was the second time the United States fought with the British in a half century. And this time, the British burned the White House to the ground. Not surprisingly, the United States wasn't too keen on using their enemies' bugle calls anymore. We decided we weren't going to use their calls anymore and decided to borrow calls then from the French. And we used that all the way through the Civil War. Any soldier that fought in the American Civil War would have been trained in these French bugle calls, including one man who came to play a pivotal role in the story of Taps. His name is Daniel Butterfield. General Daniel Adams Butterfield was from Utica, New York, the son of uh, John Butterfield, who was a prominent businessman, had started um, a delivery company, an express company, basically, to move goods from one city to another. 
he had started uh, his own company, Butterfield Express, and it was trying, like other companies, to win a big federal contract. And the United States government had this test to see who could deliver goods between, I think it was Chicago and the West Coast in 30 days. And he was able to do it like in 29 days and six hours or something, you know, beating out uh, these guys named Wells and Fargo. (laughs) The name of John Butterfield Shipping Company was later changed to a name that might be familiar to you. That name is American Express. Although American Express doesn't ship goods across the United States anymore, that is how they started. Needless to say, the owner, John Butterfield, was a very wealthy man. His son Daniel was born on October 31, 1831. He was born and raised in Utica, New York, a city in upstate New York along the Erie Canal. After graduating college and adventuring around the United States for a while, Daniel returned home and was given a cushy job at his father's company. He comes back to New York in the 1850s and goes to work for Daddy, who is now, his company is called the American Express Company. And young Daniel becomes the Eastern Superintendent of American Express in New York. In the 1850s, all young men, uh, most young men, especially those of prominent wealth and upbringing, join militia units. Militia units pre-Civil War were like fraternal organizations. Uh, They would get dressed up in very fancy uniforms, do their drills, and have picnics and parades on the weekends to charm the ladies and stuff. And this was the forerunner of the guard system, the National Guard system, these militia units. He enlists and rises, I believe he's a sergeant, and then he rises to the rank of colonel, which becomes the 12th New York militia. And it's during that time he trains his troops in, in infantry tactics and bugle calls and stuff using old manuals. Because uh, the militia units at that time don't have the very latest in all the manuals, so they have to use old ones. So he's using manuals that date back from the 1840s. But this plays prominent in a lot of what is to happen later in the Civil War. When the Civil War breaks out, these militia units, both North and South, are called into federal service. And the 12th New York is told to federalize and go to Washington as quick as possible because Lincoln was deathly afraid that Washington was going to be invaded by the Confederacy and there were no local units around to protect the capital. So units started pouring in from the north and the 12th was one of them. Butterfield, through his connections, gets command of a brigade and is given the rank of a brigadier general. In 1862, about one year after the American Civil War began, Brigadier General Daniel Butterfield and his division found themselves engaged in a campaign to capture Richmond, Virginia, the Confederate Army's capital. This campaign culminated in a series of battles just outside of Richmond called the Seven Days Battles. During the Seven Days Battles, the Confederate Army beat up on the Union Army pretty bad, and the Union had to retreat. General Butterfield's men retreated to a location along the James River called Harrison's Landing. Now, I just summarized a whole lot of history in a few short sentences, but in this story, the battles are less important than the conditions at the camp Butterfield and his men retreated to. In Virginia, the month of July is always hot and humid. Camping along a body of water like the James River means that the ground will be muddy, 
and there will be pools of standing water for the mosquitoes to lay eggs in. The only thing as common as getting bitten by a mosquito was getting dysentery or typhoid. The Union Army had just been defeated by the Confederacy, and they lost a lot of men. Butterfield's division alone lost 600. Needless to say, their camp at Harrison's Landing wasn't exactly a stay at the Plaza Hotel. It was miserable. And then, one night that July, Butterfield's bugler played the same call that he played every night. It was a call titled Extinguish Lights. Extinguish Lights is the last call of the evening. It is the bugle call that sounded to turn off the lights and go to sleep. The extinguished lights that Butterfield heard that night sounds like this. The melody and the tempo are an odd choice for telling soldiers to go to bed. It's too martial sounding and doesn't really have that let's relax and go to sleep now vibe. But still, Butterfield had heard this bugle call hundreds, if not thousands of times, and if the call bothered him, he had never let on before this July night. Maybe it was the multitude of mosquito bites making him itch, or the hot, humid air making his uniform stick to his skin. Or maybe it was because he had just lost 600 men and needed something to take his mind off the bloodshed. Who knows? But for some reason, after hearing extinguished lights this time, Butterfield was fed up and decided to do something about it. So he asks his brigade bugler to come in, and together he and this bugler work out the notes for this new bugle call, which this 22-year-old bugler uh, by the name of Oliver Wilcox Norton plays for the first time the next morning. That new bugle call has much more of a let's relax and go to sleep now vibe. At least that's what Butterfield thought. And judging from the reaction that the new call received when it was played the next morning, other soldiers seem to agree. Immediately after playing it, he's approached by other buglers who say, what was that? You know, And he explains it's the new call that General Butterfield wants used in the evening. So they get copies of it, and pretty soon everyone's playing the new call, the new 24 notes, in place of the extinguished lights. So it, it, in a sense, it went viral. Yes, that's a good way to put it. And, and, and like today, uh, viral, where you have one guy pick it up, and then two other guys pick it up, two more, then four, and then eight, then 16, and th- you know, then it, it, just, it just multiplies. The viral nature of Butterfield's new bugle call may not have been limited to the Union Army. There is strong evidence to support that the Confederate Army began using the call as well. 
You see, back then, opposing armies had a tendency to camp really close to one another. Not super close, but close enough that you could hear whatever music was being performed at the opposing army's camp. In fact, there are many documented accounts of the two armies having musical battles with each other. For example, the Union Army would start a battle by singing a song like the Star-Spangled Banner, a song that was meant to antagonize the enemy. The Confederate Army would respond by performing an equally antagonizing song like Dixie. Normally, their musical battles would go back and forth like this, each side trading musical volleys. But there was one song that the Union and Confederacy all sang together. That song was titled, Home Sweet Home. As one Virginia private explained, during performances by rival bands, Home Sweet Home was common property. I guess the only thing the two sides could agree on was that they both wanted to go home. But I digress. If the opposing armies could hear each other sing at night, they could definitely hear each other's bugle calls. So, there is a strong possibility that the Confederate Army picked up taps by ear. The evidence to support this idea comes from a Confederate publication from 1863 titled Mounted Artillery Drill by R. Snowden Andrews. In one section, he writes that taps will be blown at 9 o'clock, indicating that taps was part of the Confederate Army's normal schedule of bugle calls. So, it appears that Butterfield's new bugle call was a hit on both sides of the Mason-Dixon line. But that raises the next question. Did Butterfield have a burst of creative inspiration that night at Harrison's Landing? Or did the new bugle call come from somewhere else? The question is that I've been asked a lot, well, where did he come up with those 24 notes? Was it something he composed? The old story, he composed it on the back of a letter or envelope, or it's something he thought of in his head that he whistled to the bugler who jotted it down. Well, my research found that he actually took the notes from an older bugle call that went out of use prior to the Civil War. So we would then say, well, okay, well, how would he have known about that bugle call if it had been out of use by the time the Civil War started? We go back to his time with the militia, the 12th New York militia, where he states that we are to use this certain manual, and he describes which manual it is. When you look in that manual, there is a bugle call called Tattoo, and the last six and a half measures of it are note for note, are taps today. There is more than one bugle call with the title Tattoo. This particular version is often referred to as the Scott Tattoo because it's found in a military manual written by Major General Winfield Scott. As mentioned earlier, most of the bugle calls in Scott's manual were taken from the French, but oddly, we are not 100% sure where the Scott Tattoo comes from. No one has found a French military manual that contains it. So, we can assume that it came from the French, but the composer is unknown and the origin has not yet been proven. The Scott Tattoo is about a minute and a half long. In the last 30 seconds, there is a melody that sounds eerily reminiscent of Butterfield's melody. That's the Scott Tattoo playing right now. Let me fade this up for you.
So all the notes are pretty much the same as taps, but Butterfield elongated some of them and slowed the tempo down to make the melody more graceful and calm. Some people might call Butterfield's slightly modified melody plagiarism, and they might not be wrong, but an argument can also be made that this is the military's version of the folk process. The folk process is a term that musicologists use to describe the way stories, music, and in this case bugle calls, are transformed and readapted as they are passed on from person to person and generation to generation. Butterfield readapted an out-of-use bugle call and transformed it into a relaxing melody that fit the vibe of turning out the lights and going to sleep. But to make matters more confusing, the new melody took on the exact same name as the bugle call that it replaced. It's not called taps. It's called extinguished lights because that's the purpose of the call, to extinguish lights. However, troops start calling it taps. And the reason they call it taps is that in the regulation of the time, after the extinguished lights call is performed, a lone drummer would beat a drum three times. Tap. 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 Those three taps of the drums uh, were to signify lights out. And they were referred to by soldiers as the drum taps. And when this new bugle call is performed, they just call it taps. So in a way, taps was a nickname for the new bugle call that through popular usage slowly evolved into the call's official title. The same way Butterfield never intended for his readapted bugle call to be called taps, he also never intended for it to be used at funerals. And yet today, it's closely associated with funerals. The first use of taps at a military funeral happens shortly after its birth. It turns out that an artillery unit was burying one of their dead, and their captain, John Tibble, decided to use taps as an honor, a way of honoring the soldier. At first, it was said that he told the firing party not to fire the three customary volleys, but just to have the bugler to play the call. During the American Civil War, after a battle, both sides would put their fighting on pause, giving them an opportunity to remove their dead from the battlefield. Once each army had buried its dead, they would fire three volleys to indicate that the deceased soldiers had been cared for, and the army was ready to resume fighting. In the case of Captain John C. Tibble of Battery A, 2nd Artillery, it was not in his best interest to fire the three volleys. He feared that rifle shots would renew the fighting and give up his battery's advanced position, hidden in the woods. But they had lost a man in battle and needed to bury his body. Tibble decided that a performance of taps to honor the deceased would suffice in place of the rifle shots. After that first funeral, just like when taps replaced extinguished lights, it again became somewhat of a viral sensation. Taps is the only call in our manual that's played slowly, completely through and that it has an emotional appeal to it. So I would think that after having it played at that funeral, it may have been played at other funerals. And it's, it's the same thing. It's played at one, and then somebody hears it, and they play it at another, and then another. And so by the end of the Civil War, it's become not an official thing, but just as a, a way of honoring. Despite Taps' popularity at funeral ceremonies, it didn't become part of the official military funeral until decades later. The call at funerals is used unofficially a lot after the Civil War, but they never call it Taps. That's the funny thing. And there's nothing in the manual to indicate its use 
outside of the last call in the evening to turn out the lights. But unofficially, it's used at funerals. It takes all the way to 1891 when the army finally writes in the regulation that the call taps and then they finally call it taps is sounded after the three volleys at a funeral. So there's the first reference to it officially, but certainly it's used unofficially. As a side note, many people know the taps melody with lyrics. Butterfield did not pen any lyrics. They were written after he readapted the bugle call. The most popular of the lyrics are titled Day is Done, which anyone who has been a member of the Girl Scouts of America knows pretty well. But that story must wait for another episode. When the Civil War concluded, General Daniel Butterfield was awarded the Medal of Honor for his heroic action during the Seven Days Battles. Apparently, he seized the colors of the 83rd Pennsylvania Volunteers at a critical moment and, under galling fire of the enemy, encouraged the depleted ranks to renewed exertion. Decades later, when Butterfield finally retired, he and his wife moved to a town along the Hudson River, 60 miles north of New York City, named Cold Spring. On the other side of the Hudson River is where the United States Military Academy at West Point is located. When he finally retires, he moves to Cold Spring, New York. His house, which he called Craigside, was built on a hill overlooking the Hudson River and just um, up a little bit from West Point. And he said that he could uh, sit on the porch in the evenings and hear the sound of taps coming up from West Point, which I thought was a little far-fetched at first, but uh, talking to some folks when I visited Cold Spring, they said, oh yes, oh yes, on a clear night you can hear bugle calls coming up from the academy. And if that wasn't poetic enough, when Daniel Butterfield passed away in 1901, he was buried at West Point. At his funeral, the bugler and the army band, of course, performed taps. Today, every branch of the United States military maintains a full band. Every one of those bands has a bugler. Yari Villanueva, the voice that you've been hearing, became one of those buglers when he joined the Air Force Band in 1985. Yari began playing the bugle when he was a child in the Boy Scouts. His lifelong love of the bugle and trumpet led him to earn his master's degree in trumpet performance from Kent State University. Soon after, when Yari was 30 years old, he tried out for the Air Force Band. After his second audition, he was accepted and sent to boot camp. It wasn't long after completing basic training that Yari Villanueva performed taps for the first time at a full honors military funeral at Arlington Cemetery. It was in July or August of 1985, and I will tell you, I was as nervous as I'll get out <laughs> uh, for the first one because I didn't know exactly what to expect, you know, working with the honor guards and with the band and stuff. At Arlington, what happens is that the bugler who sounds taps is usually part of the musical group that goes down, accompanies the casket down or the caisson down to the gravesite. So after you play the hymn to get the casket up to the site and they hold the brief service, the 
trumpeter will leave the formation and position himself, then wait for the three volleys to fire, and then sound the taps. So you have quite an audience when you do it for the first time. You've got your colleagues, your musical colleagues, you have the entire honor guard, and then you have the family there. So it's it's quite nerve-wracking at first because everything comes to a complete stop. After the three volleys, it's complete silence. And the next thing is those 24 notes. It's like, you're on. For any type of musician, performing alone is always nerve-wracking. For example, the singer-songwriter who gets up on stage with their acoustic guitar. Sometimes the audience can be rough on them, like when the crowd won't stop talking or an inebriated heckler disrupts their performance. Sometimes there's hardly an audience at all and they're performing to a room filled with empty tables. Performing alone is always difficult, but performing at a military funeral comes with its own unique obstacles. The people in that audience are not there to hear music. They're there to say goodbye to someone that they love. The bugler who plays taps is playing for people wearing black, grieving, and maybe in tears. No matter how perfect the bugler's performance is, this event is always going to be sad. Yari Villanueva estimates that he has performed taps at a minimum of 5,000 funerals. To put that in perspective, if you were to perform at one funeral a day, every day, it would take you over 13 years to attend 5,000 funerals. It's hard to imagine performing at that many. It seems like an incredible amount of sadness and death to constantly be surrounded with. I mean, it has to get to you after a while. I treat it, you know, as being a professional baseball player. You know, the pitcher on the mound. When you've got to make that important pitch and you've got... 50,000 people screaming <laughs> in the in the crowd and you've got the on either side the the dugouts and, and stuff you have to learn how to block that out and just concentrate on the task at hand and yes absolutely we're there to as the part of the grieving process for the family and you know I may not know the person in, you know who's lying in that casket but I know what the family's going through although I can't let that emotion get to me because if you do, you wouldn't last more than two weeks doing this. So you learn how to block that out enough to to make you know your performance as perfect as possible. Because the last thing you want is to be caught up in it so much that you are unable to do it or you do a bad performance of taps because then that's what they're going to remember. So you want to do it to the best of your ability. No matter how good a bugler becomes at blocking out their surroundings and compartmentalizing the emotion, sometimes even a seasoned performer like Yari Villanueva can struggle to play those 24 notes and make it through the performance. Early in my career, I was asked, I drove out to Oil City, Pennsylvania, and I remember this very well. Oil City is north of Pittsburgh, I believe, and it was for a 19-year-old airman who had just graduated from basic training and had come home on leave and um, was killed by a drunk driver, he and his girlfriend. It was, it was devastating to the family and to the community. And I went to the church service um, before the interment, and it was just filled with his classmates from his high school. A large part of the community turned out for this. And then when we got to the gravesite, it was difficult because I had started to play, and this moan went up 
this crying started. And it was just not one person. It started, well, it started just a few, but just built to almost everybody crying. And it was tough to make it through because I had never in my life had experienced that. And I can still recall that sound to this day. Regardless of how difficult the performance was, Yari Villanueva has played taps at funerals for 23 years in the United States Air Force Band and continues to do so in his retirement. He has dedicated a large portion of his life to this duty. That's why, when the United States military passed a rule stating that live buglers were no longer required at military funerals, well, Yari didn't like it. Around 2000, the military authorized an electronic bugle, a tape recording, uh, to be played at funerals. And uh, a lot of musicians feel that's inappropriate. In 2003, the United States military contracted a company named S&D Consulting International to design an electronic bugle. They created a device called the Ceremonial Bugler, The ceremonial bugler is shaped like a cone and it fits right into the bell of a bugle. The wide part of the cone has a two-inch speaker and a play button. To sound taps at a funeral, all someone needs to do is slide the ceremonial bugler into the horn, hit the play button, and hold the bugle to their lips as if they were actually performing. The latest version of the ceremonial bugler has a USB input so you can download and install new bugle calls from S&D Consulting's website. The full package comes with the cone with a two-inch speaker, a very convincing nickel-colored bugle, and an instrument case to carry it all in. This will run you $530, plus tax. At first glance, the ceremonial bugler appears like the military equivalent of Britney Spears lip-syncing at her concerts. It feels inauthentic and cheap. But the fact is, the military didn't commission the ceremonial bugler to replace live buglers. The military needed the ceremonial bugler because the United States has a shortage of bugle players. The reasons for the shortage are complex. In the past, like when Yari Villanueva was a child, organizations like the Boy Scouts of America motivated many young kids to take up the bugle. For whatever reason, the Boy Scouts of America seem to be motivating fewer and fewer young ones. The problem is compounded by military budget cuts. The government is appropriating less and less money to the military honor guard, and thereby buglers. Today, the military employs only 500 buglers, and there are, on average, 1,800 veterans passing away every day. I double-checked that number. 1,800 per day is accurate. To cover all these funerals, each bugler in the military would have to play taps at three or four funerals a day, all over the country, and that is just not possible. When it became hard to find buglers, people began carrying battery-powered boomboxes to funerals and played taps off a CD. Visually, those boomboxes couldn't replace the dignified look of a person in full uniform playing a shiny bugle, and they didn't always work right. The CDs would skip or the batteries would die if the weather was cold. The moment taps should have been heard quickly devolved into an uncomfortable moment of silence. The ceremonial bugler was commissioned to replace the unreliable boombox and at least provide the grieving family with the appearance of a person in uniform playing the bugle. The electronic solution to the bugler shortage didn't sit well with real buglers, so they have devised their own solution. 
Many have stepped up and volunteered their free time to go and perform taps at funerals. These volunteers have organized themselves into nonprofit groups that you can contact and they'll help schedule a bugle player for your loved one's funeral. Yari Villanueva runs one of these nonprofits. We formed a group called Taps for Veterans. And we're a nonprofit organization. Um, it's easy to find us, tapsforveterans.org. And we're assembling a group of buglers from around the country so that if a family wants to have a live bugler instead of a recording, they can contact us and we'll make sure, do our damnedest to make sure that uh, a live bugler is there. Um, in Maryland, I'm lucky to have work with you know contracted buglers who go out and do these funerals. But 300 funerals a month, and I have about 10 buglers, we don't get to cover every single one. We cover about 85% with a live bugler. Unfortunately, there are some funerals we have to use the electronic bugle. It's sad to say, I don't think we're ever, we're, no one's ever going to get 100% coverage of live buglers, ever. Uh, in fact, the U.S. government says that only 20% of military funerals have a live bugler. I interviewed Yari on a Sunday morning. As soon as we finished our conversation, he had to head off to a funeral to perform taps. He wasn't being paid. I don't even think he knew the person the funeral was for. But, like so many bugle players across the United States, he believes it is his duty. The last question I asked him before he had to get ready for the event was why taps? What is it about those 24 notes that makes the pain of losing someone you love a little less painful? Why is this melody best suited to honor someone for the sacrifice they made for their country? Think of all the bugle calls that have filled the multitude of military manuals. The calls the United States borrowed from the British and then the French. All the calls composed after the American Civil War. There must be hundreds, if not thousands, to choose from. So why then, with all the bugle calls in all the world, is the call that General Butterfield readapted on that humid July night at Harrison's Landing chosen? Why taps? I had it described to me one time by someone as it describes almost like someone's life, that it starts off and builds up to a crescendo as you reach a high point in your life and then comes back down to indicate the end of your life and then ends in a nice cadence indicating the final portion of your life. And I had never thought of it that way. And the fact that it's just a mournful sounding call, even though it just uses uh, four notes of the bugle, it's amazing how those notes can really evoke emotion. That's it for this episode of Between the Liner Notes. If you would like to listen to another great podcast about music, we have a recommendation for you. It's a show called Tuner. In each episode, hosts Brian Barone and John Lago Marcino pull apart a popular song, analyze its parts, and discuss what makes it tick. If you're like me and you haven't been able to score tickets to the musical Hamilton yet, then I recommend beginning with episode four of Tuner, titled Hamiltuner. But anyway... This episode was produced by me, Matthew Billy. Jason Silverman created the Between the Liner Notes graphics and website. 
Laura Vandiver assisted with production. All the credits for the music used in this episode can be found at BetweenTheLinerNotes.com. There is a link to the credits on the page for this episode. My thanks to Yari Villanueva for sharing his research and discussing his experiences performing taps at military funerals. If you would like to know more about Yari and his research, you can visit tapsbugler.com. Information about his book, 24 Notes That Tap Deep Emotions, The Story of America's Most Famous Bugle Call, and his album, Day Is Done, can be found at tapsbugler.com. Special thanks to Yari's wife, Heather Faust, for inviting me into her home and allowing me to occupy the dining room table with my equipment for two hours. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, or whatever application you use to listen to podcasts. You can also find us at our website, betweenthelinernotes.com. Feel free to write to us. We'd love to hear from you. As always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Between the Liner Notes.